Before we get the show started, we want to hear a word from our lovely sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Charming, easygoing, and rich, Xavier Castillo has the world at his fingertips. He also has no interest in taking over his family's empire, but that hasn't stopped women from throwing themselves at him. Unless, of course, the woman in question is his publicist. The cool, the intelligent, the ambitious Sloan Kensington, who is a high-powered publicist who's used to dealing with difficult clients, but none infuriate or tempt her more than a certain billionaire heir with his stupid dimples and laid-back attitude. She may be forced to work with him, but she'll never fall for him because he's a client and that's all he'll ever be, right? Right, girl, like we all know. So just in case you didn't know, author Anna Wong is the best-selling author and book talk viral author of the Twisted Love series, the King of Sin series. Miss Wong, gotta go on on, okay? Make sure to check out King of Sloth by Anna Wong. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Taming Seven is an epic and unforgettable love story in the international best-selling and TikTok phenomenon, The Boys of Tommen series from Chloe Walsh. So Tommen's cheekiest lad, Jared Gibsey Gibson, has always been a comedian, but inside he is haunted by events of the past and he uses humor to cope, hiding his true self from the world. Then you have Claire Biggs, who is the epitome of sunshine. She's always loved Gibsey, her brother's friend and her favorite neighbor. She also has always seen a side to him that no one else seems to notice, and she becomes determined to tame her wild-at-heart childhood best friend. So The Boys of Tom and Series is an internationally best-selling YA romance series that has taken TikTok by storm. It's perfect for readers looking for new adult slash crossover romance, dual point of views, friends to lovers, marathon worthy TikTok books, and angsty tear jerkers. Taming Seven is published today and it's the fifth book in the series. So make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Hello everybody, I am Louise and I'm Mary Kay and together we are Novel Gazing, the podcast that talks all about literary fiction. We are recording today's show on January the 7th, 2020. Happy New Year to you and your family. Mm -hmm. And on today's show, we are discussing current affairs, news from the literary fiction world, whether Harry Potter can be thought of as literary fiction, and we're sharing our latest reads. But before all that, let's hear from one of our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. 
But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Elena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publisher of the smash hit Fourth Wing. You'll only cross these blades once in a page-turning new tale of revenge strategy and so many lies. Best-selling Red Tower Books is releasing its next year's will read that will capture your imagination and keep you guessing until the end. May Corlin's Five Broken Blades tells an intricate high-stakes tale of five total strangers united in a plot that will test their strength, wits, and courage. Each has their reasons, all have secrets. But while it's easy to portray a stranger, it's not so simple to stab a friend or a lover, okay, in the back. Now these five blades must choose between vengeance and one another. Pick up five broken blades by Mae Corlin for a thrilling, adventurous tale filled with risk, romance, adventure, and oh, so many lies. The relationships in it are complex and nuanced and involve everything from friends to enemies found in biological family and lovers and more. Thanks again to Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publishers of the smash hit Fourth Wing for sponsoring this episode. All right. So as promised, we have (laughs) news and current affairs and we are going to take one item each really to share with you today I think and the first one that I want to draw your attention to is a really interesting article that I came across on the Guardian the other day and it's called Without Women the Novel Would Die which is uh super dramatic and it is I love it I love other people's drama I don't want to be involved (laughs) in it but I love hearing about it from other people (laughs) I know I'm all over this so uh yeah so (laughs) Joanna Thomas Core, she writes um, this really interesting thing about how women love literature and the power of reading fiction, and in particular the idea of um, book groups as kind of revolutionary hotbeds and how they come together and the power of women sharing stories in this manner. So uh, I'm going to pass this over to Mary Kay and go, uh, what did you think of the article? Well... I'm super glad that you showed it to me because it was very compelling and it showed so many different perspectives on um, the reading of fiction by especially women. Like it even has some examples of of a man and his son trying to give away novels and men were like, no, I don't want one. Thank you. But women would take three. And one of the thing that one of the things, excuse me, that. I thought, I'm just going to read this quote so I don't misquote it. Um, One of them that stood out to me was, if the male reader's choice is more thrillers or fantasy, uh, women are more likely to go for, quote, literary fiction. That, That suggests to me that women read books to understand themselves and men to escape themselves, which I think is really interesting. And I think that just the way that, I mean, I know that I take it somewhat out of context, but to me that doesn't say so much about men and women as it does like what our culture expects of them. Oh yeah. And what they expect of like the the genres and the type of fiction. Also true. And, and I, I just think that it's, 
It's, I mean, it's like a, a third byproduct of, or tertiary byproduct of like this toxic masculinity where men aren't supposed mm. to feel. So they have to read things that are historic or, and I'm not knocking that at all. Like that's very important, but the fact that they were kind of in, in, in the article, they were embarrassed to admit that they were reading a novel, whereas it was kind yeah. of expected of women. Um, and then the, there's another quote, which I'm going to get it wrong because I didn't select it. But uh, for for women, it make it makes them a friend, and for men, it makes them a scholar if they're reading fiction, um, which is weird to me because I hadn't I hadn't made that distinction in my head. But it definitely now that now that someone pointed it out to me, I'm like, oh yeah, of course. Like ask. And like the last three men that I've talked to about it, they're like, I mostly read nonfiction, but like when I was telling them about my book, which is nonfiction, but reads like a novel. So I'm kind of like walking that line (laughs) for everyone. So yeah. And then, oh, there is a quote in here as well where she, and I can't remember who says it. I think it's the the writer of the article, but um, women also use books to gauge one another's aptness for friendship. Mm. So, and this is a quote for me, if someone doesn't value Wuthering Heights or just thinks it's overblown or baggy or too wild, then I like them just a tiny bit less. That's what the quote says. And I'm, I'm like the exact opposite. Like if someone says that they're one of their favorite books is like one of, one of those kind one of one of those kinds of novels while I'm part of the problem. Um, But one of the, that period I'm like, Oh, I don't know what I'm going to be able to talk to you about because Ah. I just, it's really hard for me to engage with it. Not because I don't respect it as good and important. It's just like, I don't know. It's just a weird thing. Like, I mean, we talked about it on our episode zero, right? Where I was like, I don't like it. I don't know how to like it. I wanted to, but I just didn't. Um, well, what do you think? I think Wuthering Heights is a really interesting example because it's such an iconic, angry, big, painful book that I think, yeah. I don't know if I'd like you a little bit less for liking it or disliking it. I think, you know, <laughs> it's, it's. Oh, I don't know if you can boil communication down to kind of this art of holding up a book and saying, I don't know, where do you stand on this before I talk to you? It, uh, right. it's, it's it's an interesting one but I think as well the quote you pulled out about um oh what was it the uh the choice of of men's non-fiction um mm-hmm. it reminded me of a point in um university we used to have this running joke where if a member of staff read it and recommended it to us it was usually oh in the 18th century original <laughs> latin as opposed to like the 21st century, really simple translation that it got this kind of better quality, the older and the more archaic and specific it was. And it's like, dude, we've essentially read the same book that's just been represented in different facets and in different tones. And right. the story itself is essentially the same beast. You don't get um, literary cool points for trotting out the fact that you've read this archaic <laughs> translation like staring at these people going what is this the first question is why do you hate yourself yeah. like, why would you do that to yourself thank god um i've tried right like, if you're not reading seamus haney seamus haney's beowulf like why would you read any other one i don't understand yeah i was literally just thinking of beowulf i've read some like the best version of beowulf i've ever um 
read just literally very recently is a comic by Hannah Sackett. And it Oh, that's dope. It reimagines it as being done by geese in an Anglo Saxon farmyard. Which is brilliant. I love it. It is brilliant. I love that. And I haven't got time for this whole um oh I don't know, if you don't read it and it's original, you're dead to me. I think I think I tailed away into an expression of like incoherent fury. <laughs> I think that's what it was. I just started squeaking fury and making sounds. It's the name of our next Yeah. Book. <laughs> that's it. Can we trademark that now, everybody? Just FYI, that is incoherent that was fury. That's still my idea. That's our band's name. <laughs> Leave us alone. Oh, I love fury. that. Love it. So um, Can it be Fury with an IE? Like Ooh. the beasts? Yeah. Yes. I'm sold. I'm down with this. I'm planning our retirement album as we speak. Love it. Let's do it. <laughs> oh man, that's amazing. So, um, one of the things. Speaking of incoherent fury, like the feminine kind. Um, one of the other things I pulled out of your article is, and I did not realize this. And of course, after this person wrote it, I was like, well, of course. Uh, but being accepted as a good reader has long been one of the ways for women to achieve greater social status. Mm. I think that was the author of the book. No, it's but Helen Taylor said that, excuse me. Um, but that makes a lot of sense to me, especially because it like that the novel came about as a way of like entertaining women. Yeah. More, more highly educated. So reading was a lot of showing kind of that you were smart, even without a formal education. And I think that that's dope. And yeah. I don't know. I just thought it was cool. So it's newsworthy to me. It's cool. No, I thought it was really interesting how that social status kind of ties into um, essentially what is popular entertainment back in the day. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like when, as you say, these novels coming out for women to um, read and engage with, it's a repurposing of almost this commercial thing to use it to... um, I don't want to trot out the word patriarchy this early. Uh, Throw it out there. Yeah, throw it, it out. It's there. It's, it's a way to escape us. the, the <laughs> binds about your um, position in society as a woman, that you can pick up this really easily accessible commercial thing and just start reading. And I think that's kind of amazing that people do that even now, that we work in society to allow that movement to happen. You know, like libraries amaze me on a daily basis that they even exist that we have this thing to go you can make your life better and different and shape it in the way that you want to shape it and do and all you have to do is to walk into this room where we will give you free books i just think that's i think that stuns me on a regular basis it's pretty amazing that we are able to share like that hmm like someone did that. Like someone made that possible. Yeah, that that, really that we cool. had that call as people to go. Do you know what this is yeah. important for us, and we need to celebrate it. Yeah, I know. Oh, um, on a related note, go to your library if you haven't been yeah. for a bit. Go and yeah. uh, enjoy and celebrate what is one of our like greatest achievements as as people we make a lot of mistakes but i think that libraries are a marker of um hope in a very complicated society yes agreed awesome. that's our ted talk 
<laughs> now it's like we love libraries. It's pro library. So speaking of the like women achieving greater social status, mm. I my article that I wanted to share is about Zora Neale Hurston, whom I love. Um, the article, which I will link to, of course, is called "It's Time to Fall Back in Love with Zora Neale Hurston," and. Uh, the back in love is the part that I disagree with because I've been uh-huh. obsessed with her for a really long time. Um, it has also come to my attention that not everyone has had the chance to be obsessed with her mm. because um, she was writing during the Harlem Renaissance, if, if in case you're unfamiliar with her work. Um, her one, I think her most famous work is Their Eyes Were Watching God. That's the one I um, know, yeah. Which is a masterpiece, I, I really believe. Um, so she grew up in uh florida but she was a genius and so she studied both anthropology and fiction in and i'm gonna forget which university but um in new york i believe is that correct do you know i'm not 100 percent sure now i'm sure y'all will let us know excuse me um yeah if, if i if i misspoke about that but um over the summer i was reading several of her her books that i was less familiar with that aren't novels like um tell my horse which is essentially um, an ethnography of folk tales in uh, the black areas of Florida. And she was particularly from, or she was from specifically, I believe, Eatonville, Florida, which is very rural. Okay. Um, yeah. And I, she also has this really amazing one that I was just fascinated by. Um, and it's called, no, that one's called Tell My Horse. Of Mules and Men was the one I was thinking of about the folk tales. And it has a small section about um, voodoo culture in Haiti and Jamaica. And the book Tell My Horse is, it focuses on that almost wholly. So, um, one reason why she was written out of history, <laughs> which yeah. is essentially what happened, and Alice Walker was like, Who is this amazing woman? Let me go try to find her grave and could barely find it, um, which is one of, one of the things that made her work kind of re- resurface, yeah. um, not found, but resurface because it had been so pushed down for a long time, um, was that uh, the male writers of the novel um, and other writers um, of fiction and poetry, but particularly um, black male authors at the time, were like, uh, th- this is neither anthropology or fiction and it doesn't have a place okay so which to me is just like the ultimate tragedy because you there is no one or the other like everything is all mixed in together and to think that one there's one true form is just i think kind of elitist honestly but um so that's why like she didn't get as many publishing opportunities at the time as she should have um and Part of what this article is talking about is that um, Barracoon, which I'm sure that I mispronounced because I've only ever read it and never said it aloud until that moment, um, was uh, published for the first time, I think, in 2018. Yeah. So about 70 years after her death, I think. No, no. She died in the 60s, I think. Well, it's about seven years after she wrote it, from what I understand. Okay. Anyway, years-wise, I'm not sure. Long, long time. Too long after her death. Um that was published for the first time. And now in 2020, we have to look forward to um, two more story collections coming from her. 
which uh, I'm really excited about. And I'll link to, uh, like I said, this article in our show notes so that you can read it. But the the author is really fun too because she's she likens Zora Neale Hurston to Tupac and that they both ah, release okay. work posthumously, <laughs> which I think is pretty great. Um, it's funny but not funny because both of them deserved more. Yeah, I was really yeah. interested in your point about when you were saying that, um, you know, they were forgotten because they kind of weren't... Um, how to say, are uh, allowed to be remembered right? in a way. And I think that's a problem that hits a lot of um, avant-garde, experimental, different women writers in mm-hmm. that they don't have that accepted space to be different, to be unusual, so to speak, in, in, right. in the world. So they do suffer this. Um, and I'm really glad, as I say, that you picked up on it. And it's it's not that they're forgotten, it's just because, you know, they write and they write brilliantly. Uh, it's just that they're not allowed to survive liter- their literary work to survive within the context that a lot of people write literature as and understand it as. Yeah, it's like the world wasn't ready for them yet. Yeah, exactly. And it should have been, but which was the point, right? Yeah, of, of writing exactly. like the avant-garde things. It's like, you should be thinking about this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she was ahead of her time. And I feel like that about other, I mean, even visual artists like Frida, right? Like, oh, God, yeah. She's super famous now, but was for a while living in the shadow of Diego Rivera, which mm. he's also amazing, but not as But it's just interesting to see that like trajectory towards <laughs> right. like being, um, towards being known in a way, and that we're now able to, uh, oh, gosh. I think it's able to understand their stories in a way that yeah. we're, we're very lucky to be able to have this and to be able to do it and to uh, shout out about them. Because I know I was saying to you before we started recording that I don't know if Zora Neale Hurston has really um, translated over to the UK. Uh, spoiler, I am from Britain. Um, <laughs> and I'm from the South, in case y'all couldn't hear us. <laughs> you might pick this up. Yeah. So it's really interesting that we've got, like, Mary Kay's based in America, I'm based in Britain. And so we can have these discussions about the books that move worlds in their countries and that they shake the foundations of things, but maybe don't sort of move out of those country boundaries and stuff. And I think Zora Neale Hurston, I've only read a couple of her titles, so I was really interested when Mary Kay picked this because I was thinking, well... A, I should be reading more of these because I'd also come across her work through um, Alice Walker, who we were, uh, gosh, we were set to read in school. We read The Colour Purple and I remember bawling my eyes out at the film in class. Oh my gosh. I know, how traumatic to watch that when you're like For surrounded real. by everyone. I was just thinking, yes. I'm, I'm totally fine, weeping out my soul. Um, <laughs> right, <laughs> I actually went to school in the place where that is set. Oh, wow. So... Right, and I didn't read it when I was living there, thank God, mm. because I would have just been like, nothing has changed, nothing has changed, everything's the same. But yeah. Just walking around clutching the book to your chest, just just, just weeping. I mean, basically, oh my gosh, even just the starter is like, like the opening of that book is heartbreaking because mm. she's writing letters to God about how somebody told her, you better not tell nobody but God. Exactly. So she does, and it's like... <laughs> anyway these are two really important i think regional authors that should have more um yeah 
range, I guess, like more reach. That's what, that's the word I was looking for than they than they do or have. And I think that like as a as a world, we're we got a long ways to go, but we're doing better. We're making positive strides. Yeah, and I think that the people who aren't are finally getting called out for it exactly which they should be well, yeah, yeah quite and if we can like we are readers ourselves we're journeying through this we're learning so much as we go along and we want to hear from yeah. you with the authors that you recommend and the authors that you want to have this um mouthpiece and this space to be talked about because that's the great thing about reading isn't it right that you learn from what everyone else is doing and what everyone else is coming across so yeah please do feel free to get in touch with us via social media and let us know the um, authors and the articles that caught your eye. So, as promised, we are going to start talking about Harry Potter. Uh, But before we do that, I think, uh, well, we thought it was worthwhile to signpost you towards some works by trans authors here. You may be aware of some uh, remarks that were made by uh, certain individuals on social media before Christmas. We are not going to rehash those marks here uh, because we don't have time for that um, on many, many levels. We can link to it so that you can go get a exactly. if you Yeah. If you want to go deep into the crevasse. Yeah. <laughs> Which you can. We just don't. We're not going to do it here. Yeah. But, but if you don't know and, you, and you're not going to go research, we still think that these books are worth reading so either way you win so yeah so i want to signpost you towards a book called peter darling which is by austin chan who describes themselves as a bitter millennial decent chef and a queer trans writer of romance and speculative fiction uh i am very much pro retellings of peter pan i find it really interesting when um classic british books are pulled apart and reshaped and remade for new readers so i have been tucking into peter darling and i have been enjoying it and i want to recommend daniel mallory ortberg's the mary spinster tales of everyday horror um y'all this book is so wild it's a collection of short stories that also retells some of your favorite childhood stories for example the velveteen rabbit was retold as the rabbit and it straight shook me like i had to take a break after that story it was so good um so yeah so the the title um is the mary spinster and on the book it says uh by mallory ortberg but um since then a transition has occurred and the author now goes by daniel mallory ortberg from what i understand so Yes. Brilliant. Yeah. So, we, so just so you know, when you're finding the book, like that's, it's the same person. Exactly. Yeah. We felt that was important to uh, make clear before we move into our next item, which is. Yes, because uh, we have some ambivalence about this author at the moment, but we're going to talk about it because we'd say we were going to. So yeah. Yeah. And I think it's an important discussion to have. We want to discuss whether um, Harry Potter can be described as literary fiction. Um, it's something that popped up online and I was thinking it's actually, you know, there's a lot here for us to figure out and to find out about because we're still trying to work out what literary fiction is and mm. we recognise that it can be found in a variety of places and not just slim books about relationship crises from retiring men. 
Um, <laughs> it's very specific. I won't even go into the books that have scarred me recently in that area. Uh, okay. <laughs> So the story of the boy wizard and of Hermione, who kept him alive for eight books and a world of spin-offs, <laughs> provided, quote, the narrative experience of an entire generation. And again, we will link down to the article where that comes from, which refers to um, Harry Potter Academic Conference. And as someone who researches children's literature myself, that was really interesting to me. But the point of this article is that we want to uh, discuss whether Harry Potter is literary fiction. What would it gain from being described as such? And do labels even matter anyhow? What does it? Uh, what is the point of labelling Harry Potter as literary fiction? What is the point of labelling anything as literary fiction? So let's discuss. And I'm going to immediately pass the book and go straight to Mary <laughs> Kay for her opinion. Okay. <laughs> Um, so you asked a lot of good questions. <laughs> um, so I think the way that I defined literary fiction last time we were talking, and this is like a very abbreviated version, is kind of like asking what is art in two words or less, right? Mm -hmm. um, is that it makes me think about what happened, or not even what happened, but what things mean and why they mean that after I'm done reading yeah. so like it sticks with me and it, it makes me think that what's happening is not like the plot is not the only point yeah. that the or maybe not even the point that the book is trying to make that's how i have defined it very loosely and to your point does it matter not that much like it i mean i think it it can if if someone is saying i i am looking to read something literary yeah right like it it's a descriptor and somewhat subjective slash very subjective. <laughs> so I think that um, it can matter, but it's not necessarily like better or worse than like it, it just it's a different way of describing. Yeah. So it's a descriptor, not necessarily so. like a quality label. Yes, no. I think that is the case. So when I say I don't think that Harry Potter is literary fiction, I'm not dismissing it at all. Like, I am among that generation who grew up with it. Like, I got the book on my 11th birthday. Oh. So, I know. It was amazing. <laughs> and I felt like a magic witch. Um, anyway, so the, the reason I say that not really is because... I mean, anything can be analyzed. Anything is a yeah. text. Everything is valid for academic dissection. Yeah. The books that can be written about Harry Potter, absolutely those can be literary. Like, just because I want to write about, like, cult classic horror doesn't, like, those are not literary texts, but that doesn't mean that what I write about them can't be. Ooh, okay. So I think that, I think, I think that that, I mean, and again, like, all of these labels are going to fall apart with just, like, one Prick of a balloon, like, <laughs> pin prick, um, which is fine, and I've accepted that and made peace with it. But I think for me, like the things that stuck with me were not why that happened, but so much as like what would I do in that situation, which is very plot driven. Okay, to me, and I think that things that are plot driven are generally not literary because that's what you're focusing on is what's going to happen, not why it's happening or how. Okay, if that makes sense. Um, and also, and this is just. A personal observation the the books get better like she's uh, teaching herself out how, how to write as she's writing yeah i think that's really important there is a definite shift in in the texture of them almost for sure like book one is very straightforward when well, as harry ages so does the level of like 
literary, I, I think. Like, uh, it, it becomes more philosophical as the books progress and as the character ages. So he's actually thinking about those things rather than like, why is Dumbledore keeping secrets from me? <laughs> <laughs> Which would have been a really useful question to ask earlier, Harry. FYI. Right. If you do just go. Yeah, ask why, not what. Yeah, just just <laughs> don't just ask go. about the secret. Think about why he's keeping it yeah, from exactly. you. <laughs> like, not what is this dungeon? Like, why is this dungeon trying to kill me? Oh my god. Um. So yeah, I think right. your your point about yeah. like him growing up and it becoming more literary almost then is really um interesting there because I do think there's more, as I say, texture. I I, I overuse that word a lot. Forgive me. Um as the books progress but i agree i think that the, yeah i did say better i didn't mean better i meant more dense ah, That's yeah, what yeah, I, yeah. I think um for me the literary fiction quality of harry potter comes not in the journey that harry himself faces but in the journey that neville has yeah i think especially if you and finish the series now. exactly he's he's got such a massive background arc that shifts increasingly towards the front as it as as things come along and then when you finish you kind of realize that actually this isn't harry's story in a way almost this is almost neville's story and in that is some big big questions to start asking yeah so maybe like when you're asking these questions, it does seem more like literature because now we are asking why we focused on Harry so long mm. when the hero's journey is really Neville's. Oh yeah, so, love Neville. So making a lot of good points, Louise. <laughs> I have some thinking to do. That's like <laughs> I've always identified with Romilda Vane the most because she's like, no, no, you will love me. <laughs> like, she's like, <laughs> yeah. by any means necessary. Yeah, no, I quite enjoy that approach. Go out, get what you love, get yeah. get what you I'm want. Cross between her and McGonagall, I think those are the characters I identify with the most. Well, maybe I like um, I I do enjoy Neville's growth towards incredible hotness in the films, which is something to appreciate. Yes, that was an amazing puberty change. Yeah, <laughs> which is which is wonderful. But I also enjoy like um, Hermione secretly solving all the problems and keeping both oh, Ron real? and Harry alive through the entire thing. So yeah, I think um, it gains a certain quality from being flipped slightly to the side, these books, and you kind of go, well, actually, as you say, perhaps it's the little characters that we focus on and maybe the shifts that go as the characters grow older and they have this kind of opportunity to reflect on the absolute state that is their lives and what they are experiencing. And um, yeah. I think it's literary fiction. Everything can be literary fiction. But I don't think it's literary fiction 100% straight through all the time in every single space. Yes. Awesome. Solved. (laughs) (laughs) Problem resolved. We did it. (laughs) Send us your queries for next time. Oh, yeah. If you have topics that y'all want us to talk about, we would Mm. love that. We love listener feedback. So... Yes, please do. Yeah. Love to hear from you. Um, So, yeah, I think the last thing we wanted to chat about today was... um, What are you reading? Right. Well, I have, um, as I I have banged on about libraries quite a bit, you may gather that I am a librarian um, in my part time. (laughs) Um, But I think it's important for me to, um, on a personal level, to support libraries. Um, 
because I like having a job <laughs> and I like libraries to exist. Um, <laughs> yes. So I get a lot of my books from libraries because without them, I would be bankrupt a thousand times over. So I will be talking to you throughout um, this podcast and over the shows that um, come after this about books that maybe have been out a couple of weeks, a couple of months, and even a couple of years. One of the books that I want to talk to you about um, at some point is by Simone de Beauvoir, and that's hitting, what, 70-odd years now? But I think it's important to recognise that you don't have to necessarily chase the brand new books that have come along. Mm -hmm. There are amazing classic texts out there that we can um, shout out about. So uh, I want to mention An American Marriage by Tayari Jones. Yes. So good, right? She's from here. She's oh. from down the street. I'm in Atlanta, y'all. See, so, see. I get so excited. Like, we have yes. local fans on the scene right. as we speak. <laughs> but it's been, I always think it's a great thing when you can be um, reserving something on your like number 53 on the queue or number 102. Because you know these books are making a difference, that they're incredibly popular. So I literally just got it. I'm about halfway through. And her style is amazing. It kind of aches. Amazing. You know, yes. everything is so painfully realistic and honest and aching with like truth. It's just, oh, it's really impressive stuff. So if you haven't come across it yet, I do recommend it immensely. And if you have, uh, don't spoiler the ending for me just yet. I promise that I will be uh, finishing it off in like the next week or two. So after that, we can talk about it. Okay. We'll talk about it then because I'm ready. Awesome. <laughs> I read it over this summer and I was like, oh, it's, it is, yeah. So what it's about real. yourself? Have you been tucking into anything? Um, so I just finished um, this book called Little by Edward Carey. Ooh. And it is brand new. And I had to kind of train myself to read new releases because I was an English professor, and um, so I would try to teach as many classics as I could because I knew that my students would hit the new releases uh -huh. you know, anyway uh, if they were reading. And uh, so I had to re kind of train myself to get in there, right? Because you know yeah. this one's been on my shelf since I learned how to read, and I haven't, you know, like, <laughs> I haven't gotten to it yet. Um, but so little though is very cool because it is a fictional biography of Madame Toussaint Ooh. who right with of the Mac of the wax museum yeah and in case y'all don't know this about me I love horror and I love horror adjacent stuff where it's like the point of it might not be to scare you but it's scary like yeah it's real scary so um one really cool thing that I learned about that is it she was a very small person. I don't know if she had dwarfism, but it definitely was one of the first things that people noticed about her was that was that she was very small. Right. Um, also, I don't know if y'all knew this, but she cast in wax the heads of people who had been beheaded by the guillotine. Well, everyone's what? got to have a hobby. I didn't know that. It's <laughs> so cool. It's so weird. Like a mob just I mean, in the in the book because not very much has been written about her because I, I think like, I mean, uh, we are seeing this now as well. But like people don't get written about if they are working class. Yeah, typically, um, which she was. Um, 
even though now we consider, or I consider her an artist and a historian, um, then it wouldn't have looked like that. Like she got in trouble because she's, they were like, how could you do this? And she was like, uh, they, this mob told me I was going to do it or they were going to chop my head off too. <laughs> like that's how I could do it. Um, but it was just, it's really cool. And the, and it seems very well researched, but it reads like a novel, yeah. which is what I like to do. Like, I feel like I don't, re- I didn't retain a lot of history w- when I was in school because it wasn't told to me drunk history style, like with a narrative, it was just like facts, facts, facts. And I just, I really love that. I mean, I of course take it with a grain of salt, but I recommend that book. Excellent. I love your mention of drunk histories as well. There is going to be some point where I recommend to you to go and look at horrible histories, which is like the UK equivalent and it's genius. Oh my God. I just want everything to be narrated by Tiffany Haddish. I, think, <laughs> I love her so much. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I, I, yeah, I, I would second that. <laughs> yeah. All okay. right. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, I think that is everything for today. Um, thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to yes. you for listening. We Yay. love having you along. Uh, please come again. Uh, do not forget to subscribe through however you get your podcasts. Uh, we would love you to be a regular listener and uh, don't forget to tell your friends about us thanks and goodbye goodbye